Welcome to the Dogs, your fortnightly dose of greyhound racing interviews, insights, and a whole lot more. With your hosts, Joe Andrews and Danny Jackson. Welcome to episode 24 of Gone to the Dogs. Delighted to have your company today and over the weekend and whenever really you want to listen to it. Joe, you're joining me as always. I'm always here, Danny. Yeah. Hello, everybody. How are you? I'm all right. Yeah. Um, not much to report apart from I was gutted I couldn't call the heats of the national sprint on Monday because it was called off due to the absolutely horrendous weather it was awful I watched a trial because I always get there about an hour 45 minutes before I watched a trial and this dog had just gone uh, fairly quick at Romford I think it was and she looked like me running around the track on Monday it was that and wet and it was just I felt so sorry for everyone that was working outside at Nottingham on Monday it was absolutely horrendous but I got to go home early and then I went to bed later than I would have normally done. So winner, because I was Why? like, free time, free time. Oh, yeah. I'm basically, I'm an idiot. The most of the... Oh, yeah, yeah. OK. <laughs> How are you, Joe? I'm all right. Yeah, just just cracking on. All good. Not Nothing to report either. Just um, sleep deprived. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the usual. What have we got in the news, Joe? We've got lots of news. We've got lots of nice winners. Um, Laura Gill Jess won yeah. at Crayford, and I think she won last weekend as well. I think she's the winning streak continues, but what a bit she is, especially at Crayford over course and distance. Just an um, unbelievable record. You know, not just to win that many races in a row, but to do it in in category one competitions as well. In you know, in in, in within it, it's just very very good and a, and a special bitch. We had Mike Davis on last the last podcast, obviously, and New and Sid did the business for for him and the MWD partnership. So that was great to see. I think he was a thoroughly deserved winner. He was the fastest in the heats in the semi-finals, and he got out well in the final and made no mistake. Um, so that was a that was a really nice win. Yeah, it was, and I was there, obviously, calling it the night and. Obviously, I'd I'd put up Bocco's crystal because she was the fastest breaker. And I thought if there is any trouble, which there could have been, and there was, to be fair, a little bit of trouble on the first bend. Thankfully, we can report Ballymac, John and Droopy's Google are both okay. I think Google was a little bit sore the day after, but he is all right. Um, that is good news. And when New and Sid broke, I thought, well, this is going to be easy because it's game over. Yeah. <laughs> he is going to absolutely blitz them. And the commentary will basically be centred, or I have to think about the commentary apart from New and Sid, because he was just going to make all at that point. So uh, it made my life a lot easier. Um, and what a win. I mean, he's just a very special dog. You can see how much stronger he's getting with every competition that he's in and just absolutely phenomenal. And going back to Low Hill Jess, 17 from 17 over course and distance, absolutely phenomenal. And she won it so well uh, on the Saturday at Crayford. So yeah, hats off to her as well. And it's eighteen now. I think eighteen from eighteen. As I said, I'm sure I'm pretty sure she won on on Saturday oh, yeah. to, to extend it. So uh, incredible, incredible run and um, great commentary on the Eclipse final. By the way, Danny, a really, really good, very enjoyable. Brought it to life. I thought it was great. And obviously, as someone who fancied New and Sid strongly for the final, 
Uh, that was good because on the podcast in the betting last week, you had the we had the three finals. You had two winners. I had two seconds in those races, and then New and Sid. Obviously, I had to. So we we did all right for the for the cattle finals on last week's podcast. Let's give ourselves a little a little trumpet there at the start mm-hmm. of the show. And then we had the toaster puppy derby. Wow, some performance from King Memphis again. I fancied King Capaldi. He broke well. He nearly, nearly made all, but King Memphis reeled him in on the line with a tremendous run. They're they're two excellent, you know, top top draw puppies, aren't they? And uh, mm-hmm. King Memphis, you know, that was that was just a great run to to reel in his uh, his litter brother. Certainly was absolutely sensational. So very, very happy that we managed to get all three winners between us on uh, the podcast on the Friday. So yeah, chuffed as as mint balls, as my grandma used to say, that we've had some really, really super winners. And King Memphis, I think he's something special. I'm quite looking forward to seeing him going forwards. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then moving on, we've got look um, Grace, who was a guest on the podcast. I, mean, I think we mentioned before in the news she uh, won BBC Young Reporter for her for her region mm-hmm. up in, up in the north, um, and she did it by writing about greyhound racing. And as part of that, they've recorded a video about her passion at Sheffield. Um, it was released a few days ago. If you haven't seen it already, check it out. It's all over Twitter. You know, people have been posting it on Facebook. It's an outstanding video promoting our sport. Grace Grace is telling us why she loves it, why she loves going to the track and being involved in the dogs. Um, and it's just it's just really it's just really great video promoting ground racing. So uh, well done to Grace again. It's brilliant. You know, go and watch it if you haven't. You've seen it. I've seen it. Mm-hmm. It's been it's had a lot of great feedback. I think it's just over two minutes. So yes. you can watch it while brushing your teeth. You know, yeah, if you're struggling do. for time, like our guest who is on the um, podcast later on, Phil Milner, struggles for time. Phil, if you're listening to this, which I'm sure you will be, just just watch it while you're brushing your teeth or while you're brushing the kids' teeth. Absolutely no problem. Brushing the dogs. Two, two minutes, 17. Yeah, brushing the dog's teeth. <laughs> but yeah, two minutes of your life and I promise you, it's worth it. And can I just say, someone made a good point on, on Twitter, which I just want to bring up, because um, why on everything about greyhound racing does there have to also be someone who's anti-greyhound racing? It just beggars bullet. It is, it's a great point. I just thought, that's right. Greyhound racing is a legal, regulated activity. There's absolutely no need to have someone who opposes a sport on every time. It's just absolutely crazy to me. And and like they obviously they had to have the blue cross on there uh, mm. on Grace's piece. You know, it's just it's just pointless. It's about ground racing. It's about the sport, and it's about Grace. Why did you have to have that in? And it, it goes for every article. Every time you see anything about ground racing, they have to have an anti. And if you and there are occasions where they don't, and then you'll get on social media, them all going, "Why isn't this a balanced?" Report, you know oh my god this is disgusting it's like it doesn't have to be a balanced report it's just reporting on a, a, you know a, a race or an event that's happened you don't as i said on on twitter every time you discuss the police you don't have to talk about the miscarriages of justice that the police you know have happened in the police force over the years if you talk about the nhs you don't have to talk about dr harold shipman or you know anyone else that's caught, you know done something bad in the nhs to, for balance it's just it's crazy <laughs> One more thing, good positive news. I just wanted to give a shout out to greyhoundweekly.com who are really up in the game with content about ground racing every week. Um, they've, they have they do sort of uh, tr- the trainer standings at each track and things like that and have put content on for a while. But recently um, they've signed up a load of uh, columnists to write on the site 
Um, so Grace, yourself, um, Sean, who we've had on the podcast, are writing columns, George Sal, um, who's one of the part owners of Longfellow, um, Samantha Bonner's doing some, you know, some eye catchers and things like that. I think Liam Aspin, um, I'm not sure if I saw Ryan Keneally as well is doing stuff. So it's great. You know, it's new content, it, regular content about ground racing, different people's opinions on the sport, you know, dogs to follow. So please follow um, at Weekly Greyhound on Twitter and, and, the, and the website is groundweekly.com, you know, who are really trying to do some new things for the sport and, and new articles online. And we'll put the link um, or the at in the show notes as well so that you know exactly where to go. But yeah, they've been doing great stuff. I've been reading as much as I can uh, when I'm on trains, planes and automobiles at the moment. Um, so yeah, uh, definitely check it out. They they really seem to have kicked it up a gear in the last, what, three, four months, I think it is, Joe. So great, great to see that we have people, passionate people in the sport that are really trying to shine a positive light on uh, what's going on and um i think it's great you know we're, we're really just kicking everything up again on, on the social media side of things content 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 it's what we need anything else joe no that's it from me this week no but obviously we've got an absolutely brilliant interview coming up with phil milner really enjoyed speaking to phil um should we take it away danny should we have a little listen yeah go on then So we are finally joined by Phil Milner, who is a trainer, breeder extraordinaire, owner of the Greyhound Racing World. We said last week about Mike, been trying to get him on for some time, which we added. Phil, we've also been trying to get you on for some time and the diary coordination has been an absolute nightmare. So thank you for, for coming on and taking the time. It's We've got there in the end, haven't we? Yeah, we have. It's Yeah, life's pretty hectic, so trying to match things up between the three of us, but... Thank you for having me. I'm no definitely worries. an extraordinaire. Let's get that started. Wow. <laughs> You're making making waves in the greyhound scene then. Should we say that? Yeah, we're trying to do that. We're trying. Because, <laughs> <laughs> well, look, from the start, Phil, tell us how you got into greyhound racing. Okay, so I'll give you the slightly longer version. Um, in my early 20s, 20, 1920, I suffered quite bad with social anxiety and leaving the house. Um, worked for my parents at the time. Um, I had my own little place up in Grimethorpe, Barnsley. And the time that I felt the safest was when I was out with my little pet dog. Um, I don't do things by halves and uh, had this great idea that why not just get more dogs? Um, somebody in the village, a lady called uh, Vonnie Hall, had bred a litter of greyhounds. I'd never had a greyhound in my life. We, as a family, we used to watch Sky. Uh, Sky Greyhounds. Um, everybody used to come round and we'd pick balls out and see who could get the most winners in the night. And I'd do a little bit. I'd been to Kinsley. That was it. Um, so I bought these two pups, started reading, reared two pups, and then started racing them on the flats. Um, never done it before. Not a big gambler. Nothing like that. Um, Higer and Asken is where I basically learnt my trade. So I had. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever been on the flaps or around back then. You could have different names. <laughs> so one of my good dogs, he was Cringer on one track off He-Man and Battle Cat on another track off there. Um, and just really learn your trade, got to know things, learn people uh, or learn from people. Um, and that took me on. Um, I then 
started buying and selling things for greyhounds. So I ended up stood outside asking Heiger Kinsley with a van on a night, selling dog food, selling supplements, selling bedding. And I deliver around the north. Um, the likes of John Pearman, uh, Kevin over in Manchester took me under the wing. And I go to trainers delivering bedding and I just go, oh, how do I do this? What do I do about this? And just got to learn from different people. Some really good breeders, really good trainers, schoolers, everything. Um, and then kind of that took me a different way. So I then I got a reputation for for being able to help people out with their dogs nutritionally, especially dogs that have gone over the top or off the boil. That's what I kind of seem to excel at, being able to figure out problems. And the one thing I really, really wanted to do was learn to check dogs and learn the injury side of it. Nobody would teach me. It's kind of a an in-house thing. You're either in the family or it just gets passed down. And like I said, I don't do things by halves. So quick Google back in the day, or it was probably Yahoo back then. <laughs> um, I found a, an animal chiropractic call, or sorry, I found a way to animal chiropractic, which was you either had to be a human chiropractor or a vet. So within a couple of weeks, I'd signed myself up to university, um, put my house on the market and set off, worked my way through and studied part-time and did six years in humans to be a a human chiropractor. Um, six years in humans, kind of, I'm a bit geeky when it comes to the practical side and I want to be the best at whatever I do. I don't do half measures. So I went off studying different things, sports therapy, acupuncture, rehab, worked with quite a few of the pro sports and just really wanted to fine tune where I was with that. I was, yeah, a mouthy northerner <laughs> studying down in Oxford. Um which led me down Southampton. At this point, all the dogs had gone. So I had my pet dog, but the greyhounds had had to go to go through university. And then it had been about eight years, six years after that. Um, so we're probably talking about eight or nine years ago now. I then went on to do the animal training. So you, as a chiropractor, there's a, a six-month intense course where you go and learn to be a chiropractor for horses and dogs. So I went and did that. Got asked to lecture straight away, so started lecturing as well. And then I came out and I was like, this is good, but you're never, ever going to be taken seriously in the greyhound world or sport dog scene because you are just a pet, a pet chiropractor. So started asking around for people to teach me the sport dog stuff. Didn't really get anywhere. And then somebody recommended a lady in Ireland, Yvonne Harrington, and said, you need to speak to her partner, a guy called Jeff Barnaby. Um, it's funny me and Jeff have had speak pretty much every couple of days he's in Ireland I can still remember where I was when I made the first phone call to him and Jeff's a, a northerner now being in Australia doing greyhounds being in England being in Ireland and now he's based in Ireland and he um, straight away he just said book yourself a B&B &B, come on out so I went out to Ireland never met him he literally straight away took me under his wing I picked up a sweeping brush in his kennel and he started taking me around, showing me what he did. And the beauty with Jeff is Jeff will never say he knows it all. Jeff will, he'll still ring me on a daily basis and he'll say, oh, what do you think about this? And he's desperate to learn just as much as I am. Um, and that's where it really kicked off. And then he offered me a bitch. Um, so he offered me Tars and a bow. 
who was out of a phenomenal litter. Um, she only raced four times for me at pool, just a grader, but she was litter sister to Tarzan Havana, who sired Skywalker Logan. There was Skywalker Rory, so he was originally Tarzana Rory. He won the Irish St. Ledger in the litter, Tarzana Dance Away. She was a top-class open bitch, so just from a phenomenal litter. Um, and he offered me her in terms of breeding. Um, so I took Bo, she came over to me, raced her a bit, and then she came over to breed. And everything's really kicked on from there. <laughs> um, I then met Keely. So Keely is, is born into whippets, whippet racing. Um, and between us, we've ended up where we are. So I don't know how much detail you want me to go into with it. Um, we set up. <laughs> everything. Um, every, everything. Um, so Keely, she had a little bit of history in greyhounds, but was never that interested. She is lives and breeds non-ped whippet racing. So these are old school racing whippets, really based around mining towns, the northeast, West Midlands, East Midlands, a little bit down the south. And when I say lives and breeds them, I mean, when most people are on Facebook on the phone, Keely's looking at an angle of a dog's leg or the way that a dog strides out or the shape of a whippet. She is obsessed with whippet racing. Um, so we got together. You can see we gelled quite a bit, got a lot in common. Um, wanted to breed bow. And the plan was we were going to breed bow. So I moved up north, carried on working south as a chiropractor, an animal chiropractor. Keely was working away. She was high-end recruitment, working in Switzerland. I was teaching in Germany as well, so life's always been pretty hectic. Um, Bo didn't come in season, so we adapted our breeding and bought another bitch off Jeff. We bought Tarzna Atalanta. Um, I'll go on to her a little bit later. Um, and then we built some kennels. I had the odd sharing dogs. I had a sharing Cabra Scooby just a little share in him uh, again just a little bit of fun um, but really nothing serious and then in 2018 I think it was we bred Bo um, she finally came in season we had dance uh, we had Atalanta racing so we bred Bo got Keyfield Finn Keyfield Arthur uh, Keyfield Grace Polly Paula and John, so they were the Peaky Blinders litter. <laughs> <laughs> um, they, we had them at home. Like I said, we built kennels. We were living in Derbyshire at the time in a, on a street, and they got to about 11 weeks and literally turned into dinosaurs overnight. And, like, neighbours were knocking, like, Phil, your dogs are going mental. And these were... <laughs> serious pups at two o'clock in the morning when they're trying to come out of a kennel so yeah we unfortunately or fortunately we had to send send them away so we got them reared partially in england and then we were lucky enough to get them with pat dalton in ireland um so we sent them to pat dalton's got them reared brought them i had them schooled brought them back we had the owner trainer license at the time um practically it just didn't work it just it's just a nightmare you're allowed a couple of dogs you could only run opens so we'd put some of the dogs with trainers we were trying to keep the best to run opens but you're throwing them straight onto the open scene and they couldn't learn the game 
Um, so they ended up going with trainers. So um, we put them with the Drapers. Um, and they were a great litter. Uh, unfortunately, I'd say COVID probably affected them quite a bit because they COVID was around the time of their peak. Um, I mean, Finn got to the final of the British Bread Derby, ran in the first round of the Derby, got trouble. Um, it's stunning early pace dog. Just it got knocked over at Central Park and lost a little bit to the bend. And after that, it'd stay stronger. We sold him after the Derby. Just we, we were both quite cut up about things after the Derby. We weren't as owners. We didn't get to see the dog. Just little things happened that we just said, ah, we don't want to do the ownership side. Um, Arthur was the better dog. Just yeah, attitude wasn't 100% with him um, and didn't quite stay strong. And then Grace, Grace was a cracking bitch, just didn't quite get the 500 Sheffield. And we've still got Grace here, who hopefully, if she would like to help us out, will be a brood, but she has awkward seasons. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that was Tars Nabo, and that, that was 2018. Um, we then decided we wanted to do the whole thing. So, well, no, tell a lie. We then decided we didn't know where we were going to go, but we didn't want to send them away. We wanted to rear ourselves and breed ourselves, and we had to have a trainer's license to be able to start them off. So during COVID, we bought this place, or just after COVID, um, Seb was born, we had a nightmare being stuck in houses and without houses and dogs everywhere. Um, and I talked Keely into buying a rat infested <laughs> place in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> the first time we came to look at it, the smell, oh my life. <laughs> she walked out and she was like, we are not buying that. <laughs> and I was walking around and through the the overgrowth and the trees and the weeds and the broken sheds. I was like, no, that'd be a perfect gallop and that'd be a perfect shape for training pups. And we can put some kennels in the rat and pigeon infested sheds outside. We'll be all right. Yeah. So it took us a year to buy it. Uh, banks refused mortgages. Oh, it was just a, a nightmare to buy it. But we got it. I had a rant on Twitter, a good friend. Uh, I then a guy, a greyhound guy replied on Twitter, Paul Wright and said, I'll help you out, just buy it. Um, so we did. We begged, steal, borrow, scrabbled every penny we could together and bought it for cash and then got a small mortgage, paid it off, lived here, no heating, leaking roofs. <laughs> Still the same. Kennels look brilliant, but the house... <laughs> it's okay. Just keep telling her it'll change soon. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> so we've got whippets, the dogs... Jeff had taught me masses and we kind of, yeah, um, I'll get to present day in breeding. <laughs> I guess that's where we are. <laughs> wow. I mean, yeah. what, what a journey. And and you're right, you don't do things by halves, Phil. You really, really don't. Yeah. I mean, it is one of those sports though. You, you go big or go home, don't you? And obviously you were saying that you were a chiropractor. So do you do that full time and train greyhounds as well yep how on earth do you manage that <laughs> i have no idea <laughs> um so i i have a i before we started i had a very very good practice so i'd already gone through the years of building up a practice so i had 
I, I probably do 30% humans, 30% horses and 30% dogs. Um, my practice is based around the South. So the majority of it is on the Isle of Wight <laughs> um, and the South Coast. Um, so I've condensed it, basically. I leave here usually 2.30 a.m. on a Tuesday morning, travel down. So I drive down, get the ferry to the Isle of Wight, do a crazy long day, do another day either on the Isle of Wight or off. And I generally get back home 11, 12 o'clock Thursday night. Um, and then the dog side of it is very much sport dog focused. So I don't do many pet dogs. Surprisingly, I don't do many greyhounds, um, but I do a lot of uh, whippets, a lot of fly ball dogs, uh, sled dogs, bite jaw dogs, agility dogs, things like that. So usually one day a week or two days a month, I'll be off at the weekend doing one of those days. So I do full team days where the whole team will bring a load of dogs and we just check and manipulate, look for injuries, give advice. And then Keely's here. So when we had Beatrice, the second child, Keely, we kind of made the decision she was finishing work, going to do the dogs and look after the kids. Keely's dad lives with us. Without him, without me, none of it would be possible. He is, he's nanny, he's dog walker, he's run around, he is everything. Um, I mean, what he puts up with, what Keely puts up with, I, I can't tell you. Um, I'm a nightmare. I will hold my hands up. I've got to where I am in life by being that way. I live on my nerves. I work a hundred mile an hour. If a dog needs schooling, I will drive it anywhere. It needs doing. So for work, I condense it. I do my three days. They want me to lecture again. And I'm just, can I get fit that in as well? Because I loved the lecturing. And the beauty with that is you're working with the best vets, animal chiropractors in the world, if not Europe. I get to sit around. I, we used to teach anatomy. So I dissect. I'd be going, okay, how can I warm up a gracilis? How does that work? And you're literally sat there with a body trying to figure it all out. And that is just invaluable. Um, so I listen to lots of podcasts. <laughs> I do lots and lots of driving. <laughs> I Keely puts up with me managing a lot via phone. <laughs> um, and I mean, Sheffield are brilliant. They stream trials. We log on. We get to see a lot of that. Um, there's lots of video calls and we just, we've got lots of calendars. Our kitchen wall is full of calendars, whiteboards, everything is planned. Monday is the big plan day. Who's going where, who's doing what. And it, it works. We can do the training, the breeding, the logistics of getting to tracks is what cripples us. I, that, that is, that's the difficult side of it. And I was listening to your podcast last week. And he was talking about managing risk and that's that driving, just shaking my head going, yeah, I didn't listen to that bit. No, shouldn't have done it that way. <laughs> um, we don't know what we are. People ask us all the time. Do you want to train? Do you want to breed? Do you want to breed to sell? I'll be honest. We don't know where we are at the minute. We're kind of, we're new in. We've only had his license 18 months. We're still finding his way. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows where we're going to go? Um, but we juggle it. We we can't afford staff at the minute. We're just trying to take on somebody part-time and somebody that can do a bit of running around. And it's it, it makes matters 
no, that's wrong. Thing get, things get more difficult when you have the open dogs. But ultimately, we wouldn't be doing it if we weren't dreaming about the open dogs. I can't tell you how many trainers said to us when we set up, Phil, sell your open dogs. They're too much hassle. They'll cost you too much money. You can't make a living out of it. Focus on your graded dogs. They'll give you an income. You ain't got to get to different tracks. If that's what I was doing, I'd jack in tomorrow. Why would we be getting up, doing the hours that we're doing, making us kids kind of miss out on things? I mean, what Keely puts up with? We haven't had a holiday for seven years. Like I say, the house hasn't been done. It is rough. You can't get to kids' gigs. You can't get... He had a concert last week. You have to kind of sacrifice those things. But you just grab an hour here. You make it work. And that's that's what we're in it for. And we'll see where it goes. We'll just carry on the ride. <laughs> Everything's going in the right direction at the moment. It's been some start. Um, and we'll get on to the breeding now. I think it's a, it's a good point because also that ties in with what you're saying about having open racing dogs. You know, if you're interested in the breeding and, and trying to breed the best greyhounds, obviously, you know, running graders um, every week isn't, isn't ideal for that. So how, how, how did you really get into the breeding side of it? What really caught your interest? Um, and tell us about what you're doing now, obviously, with, with Droopy's Edition and, uh, you know, Atalanta and, and those pops hitting the track. And, and what what have you got planned for the future? Yeah, so right back at the start, really, I remember picking up the, the Greyhound Star and buying it from the track. And it, I'd always look at the breeding side of it. You can only train. Yes, you can get a dog to the peak of its ability, but you can't take it past it. Therefore, to be the best and to compete at the best, you have to have the best dogs. And we can't go out and buy a 20 or 30 grand dog, so we have to try and breed it. And trying to breed, it sounds a bit arrogant, but trying to breed the perfect greyhound should be everybody's goal in breeding. Like, you should be... The one thing that Jeff instilled in me is you are trying to breed Chase, Phil. Like, you have to try and nurture your line. So... Jeff was he's like a dad and uncle best friend to me he literally he let me into a line that he has nurtured with Yvonne for years and years and years going back generations he knows that line inside out he knows their quirks he knows their abilities what they can do what works best with it so when he let me into that that's where it all really kicked off and I went okay now we've got to try and breed the best and when we got Atalanta, <laughs> so Jeff had always, always talked to me about stories of Tem Lee, things in Australia. He'd talk about lines. He'd say, go and read this, go and look at this line, go and look how this has worked. And he can put a pedigree up and literally say, oh, that's why this dog goes that. And he'll go back four generations and see where it's come from. I don't have the knowledge to do that to his ability, but that's what you, you're trying to do. And, Taz Naboe, we had a go, did JT, put her to JT Jet, got a very good litter. I was in a, I don't know if I'm digressing, hope I'm not digressing. <laughs> um, I was in a, an airport in Germany and Jeff rung me and Skywalker Logan had just trialed and absolutely flown. And Jeff said to me, we have to put Skylog, Skywalker Logan to an offspring of dance. So Tarzan had danced away and Skywalker Logan's father were litter brother and litter sister. That was Jeff's design, straight off. 
he said, this will give us something special. He talked about it for years and that we were making that happen no matter what. So that's then where George came from. So Keyfield George um, and that litter, the Pepper Pig litter, Tarzan Fern, etc. They came from that mating. Now, do you want the story around that mating? Yeah. <laughs> yes, of course. This is how kind of dedicated to the whole process we are. Tarzanabo came in season, Christmas, just after COVID. We were kind of, Ireland was half in lockdown, half not in lockdown, but we definitely weren't travelling by ferry to Southern Ireland. So New Year's Eve, Keely gave me a warning. I had to be back to see in the new year. I put Tarzanabo in the back of the car and set off, drove through Northern Ireland, uh, through Scotland, Northern Ireland, down through the south, slept in a Tesco car park in the back of the car, dropped her off at Michael Dunn's to be mated and drove back home. <laughs> Walked in the house at about six o'clock at night, cracked open a Budweiser, Seb wanted to have a disco, the disco ball's going, I am not making any of this up. Turned around, Tarzan Atalanta have come in season. <laughs> <laughs> you go are you kidding me I said I'm not going I'm not going woke up the next morning said to Keely I'm going <laughs> we've been planning this so sorted it with Pat Guilfoyle who had Skywalker Logan I said Pat I can't get her to Southern Ireland but I'll get her to Northern Ireland so a few days later off I set again <laughs> up through Scotland Northern Ireland dropped her off got her delivered Bo missed her mating didn't happen and Skywalker Logan mating happened and that's where we got uh, Keyfield George and Tarzan Fern, Keyfield Danny, etc. Delphine Pepper. So that's really the breeding side of it. We we constantly looking at how to develop the breeding, how to breed the best dogs. So I'm looking at lines, what will work with certain lines. And again, Jeff's taught me number one thing to look at is your weakness. What's your weakness in your line? What what are you missing in your bitch in your line that you need to try and improve? If you can't be truthful to that, then there's no point in breeding. You're doing it just for fun and sentiment, and nobody wants to do that. So I planned, I wanted something in the UK because I didn't want to have to do that journey again. And I planned Keyfield Grace to go to audition, kind of done the deal and said, would you let him go? Yeah, we're looking for somebody to stand him at stud. Again, me being me, Keely being Keely, we went, okay, no problem, but it's difficult to do it. So we took him on, um, got him here. Grace missed. Like I said, she has funny seasons. Then Atalanta came in, and we were really, really liking the look of the first pups. So I decided to make Atalanta again and put her to addition. We were hoping he'd throw in a bit of strength. Um, she was just her litter, if you look at them, they're just a little bit short runners so we wanted some stamina in there um the one thing her litter have is fierce fierce drive and and chase so we weren't worried about that and that's the current litter that are just starting um so that's maverick goose dares iceman etc so they're the top gun litter first racers so penny one lower grade i'm not sure she's going to stay um but then we launched the boys this weekend um I've always thought Maverick was a bit special, right? From the second he was born, I went running upstairs at half past two in the morning <laughs> um, to say I've got the dog I wanted. Um, 
What what made you think when you when when he was a pop, you know, just been born that he was a special one? So the night before we thought she was starting, um, I stay up. I tend to do the whelpings if I'm here, so I try and book time off to do whelpings. And Keely said to me, "What do you want now?" In um, in Atalanta's litter, there was a dog called Tarzan and Nuriev, and Nuriev had an injury. Uh, which probably stopped him fulfilling his potential, but he was some dog. Like, just the attitude of him on track, pace to burn, just... And I said to her, I want a Nuriev. And he came out, markings, just like Nuriev, firstborn, went running straight. It was, Keely, I got my Nuriev. <laughs> and then I was kind of like, what else? <laughs> what else happens, happens. Um, Keely's, I will say this, she's better at picking a pup than I am, so... She always picked Danny um, out of the litter before I picked George and Danny would have been the better dog. You don't know. I know we've had this discussion and you've asked me, how do you know? I don't. Some breeders might say, oh, I can see it in the field. I know John Marriott, friends have had dogs with him. He does a lot around the fields, taking them around. And we do the same. We take them up the backfield and they hunt and they play. Um, Maverick, You'd see him up the field, he was lazy. Like He used to go quite twisted, never really moved that well. But you just have something about him that you go, I, I love the stamp of him, I love the strength of him. Um, so you get I, equally, I thought Penny was going to be the best bitch. Adamant. She was nothing to go near her. When there was food around, she was the top dog. Um, but I think she might be the worst bitch. So you just, you just don't know. I can tell you story after story like that. And then... Uh, who else we got? So we've got those. Um, we've got a litter close behind them. So a good friend, Paul Wright um, and Gemma, they had Nardem Bella, who's a litter sister to Ballymac Cooper. I mean, if you want to see a, a design pedigree, what Liam Dowling did there, he doubled up in that mating and he just got a stunning litter. Stunning, which if you look, his lines throw on. So... The amount of people are breeding's luck. Breeding's, yes, you need luck, but you've got to put your work in. You've got to have the right bitch. You've got to find out what works, and then you've got to rear them right. And the top guys, there's no, that's why they get top after top after top, because they found a formula and they they nurture it and they look after it. Um, so Paul, he, Nathan Bella is mum of Fearsome Quest, very, very, very good bitch. Very good bitch. And uh, now with Tom Heilebron. Um, and Paul said, Can we do you fancy having a litter out of Bella to addition and doing her? So we had a litter out of her. We've got seven. We've got five here. Can't tell you what they've done as pups. They are first time round, Bista. They've gone faster than the others out of the track. I mean, there's a, a, they've got a lot. I always talk about box ticking. There's boxes to tick yet, so they've got to pass a dog, they've got to stay. There's still things that you've got to do, and as puppies and rearing, you are looking for that. But there's a couple of dogs in that litter that just stunning, stunning dogs. There's one Rocky. Nobody depicted him as a pup. If he can't run, he'll win cross. He's <laughs> that nice. Um, but what they've done on the schooling track, they've had two, two trials out of boxes. They've just turned 15 months. Paperwork's just gone off, so they'll be trialling soon. They look very, very nice. Um, Jimmy Gaskin's got a litter out of addition. So, uh, Ballymac Lydia, I believe. I believe. Um, 
he's he's put some videos on Twitter and sent me some lovely strapping pups. And the one thing I will say about the additions that I've got and other people have got is just their temperaments. They're just really, really easy dogs. They don't have any quirks. They're good in the kennel. No nerves to them whatsoever. Chase for their life. Um, and just big, strong dogs. Um, we've got another young litter, 11 weeks old, to Ballymat Juliet. So her first litter are just in the track now. And she's a litter sister to Ballymat Wild. And then it's a guy called Ryan Bell who's got a litter, uh, got a couple of dogs out of addition to Blue Tick George's litter sister. So it's hard. It's hard getting bitches. It's hard getting them recognised. Um, we desperately need supporting. Otherwise, we'll just we'll lose stud dogs in England. It's so hard to stand them with all the legislation and things now. Um, but we keep trying. So how do you think that could be improved? You know, what help and support do you need as a, as a British breeder and someone with a stud dog to, to, to help out? Advertising. <laughs> um, I wish the press would do a bit more and push them, kind of. There's plenty of dogs out there. I mean, if you log on the stud book, and there's a list of what's been born this year. There is a list of stud dogs. It's not fully up to date. Um, we try and push him on social media. Yes, it's our fault for not getting him on ground data, but I just we, we need the support from the press and from other parties of the greyhound world to really help push these dogs. And Because if not, the easy thing to do is to send them to Ireland. And that's what most people will do. I guess as you get winners on the track, like you did on Saturday, and that success keeps coming, that that's ad- advertisement in itself, isn't it, as well? Yeah, totally. And that's why we do a, try and do plenty on social media. Um, again, it needs picking up in the press. Um, you'd like people just to say, oh, this pup's done this. Um, Drooper's edition, first litter, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but people, the breeders that really look into it, they will be looking. So most of my spare time, not that I get any, so shall we say most of my <laughs> multitasking time is on Greyhound Data or on GRI website. And I'll be looking for up-and-coming pups, looking for something that's done a special run and then trying to look, okay, what's this stud dog doing? What's this stud dog doing? And you get an idea really early what's, what's throwing, what's not, what's going to match this, what's going to match your bitch. And just trying to plan ahead. I mean, Rab's got a cracking bitch. And you can look at the breeders in the UK, and there are some top, top breeders in the UK, some really good breeders, but they need support. The advertising of the British bred competitions needs to be better. The money, there needs to be a way of filtering it down to breeders. Because whilst there's British bred racers, ultimately the prize money goes to the owner, of those dogs and then the trainers getting paid but the breeder unless it's a competition or the produce stakes the breeder's not going to get anything i mean the produce stakes needs completely looking at i i don't mind saying it i think it's an absolute insult to british breeding i number one it's run on a thursday afternoon now my diary is rammed <laughs> i didn't know george was going to get to the semi-final how can i possibly get time out of my diary to go and watch my dog run on a Thursday afternoon, not knowing if he's going to get to the semi-final. You, you just can't do it. And then 
he went for he went for a trial and then had three races so that's four runs if i'd have run an a8 dog at sheffield finishing last in those four runs that dog would have made me more money than george made me from getting to the semi final of the produce stakes that it, that can't be right it it, it just can't be right it's, there's a there's a reason that the produce doesn't fill and so some people say, oh, people are avoiding Rab. Look, people will avoid Rab maybe because he's got superstar dogs. But there's plenty that will take him on. But when you're only being paid that or the hassle of getting there, and then it's in the daytime as well, it's just wrong. It's just, it needs support and it needs to be on a weekend night. People can make a big thing of it. It needs to be a full carnival of British bred racing. And that's where it should be. There's a lot of breeders leaving the sport. And the GBGB, to be fair, have asked, have asked for some input into it. They are the welfare strategy, slightly concerned that they're going to bring lots more legislation in and govern how we breed and rear. Um, but equally, they've asked for what they can do to support British breeding. So they are listening. Um, there's meetings planned, and hopefully that will go forward. Um, and hopefully we'll get some support because the likes of John Marriott's left. Um, there was a podcast recently with Kim Goodin. She said she was doing one more, lit um, one more litter and she was finished. I mean, her shockwave dog, she's done brilliant over the years. Um, Glenn and Jill, so the stuff at Sunderland, brilliant, brilliant breeders. But the amount of times I speak to Glenn, oh, I'm not sure how long I'm going to go on. Well, they need support. We need support as breeders. I didn't want to train as such. So I, I don't know how much you know about it. So I didn't want to train as such. Our first litter, oh no, in fact, it was this litter. It was the Pepper Pig litter. We didn't have his license through at the time. No clue where we were going to race. They're ready to go to the track and be marked up paperwork where they have to fill in all their markings and it gets sent off for the naming. Because we weren't attached to a track, nobody would do it. We're sat here with a litter of greyhounds as breeders and nobody in Marcus dogs up. And you're like, hang on. Well, it's, it's nonsense with the, the shortage of greyhounds at the moment that everybody is, is aware of. They're trying to promote British breeding, but seemingly the actions don't speak as loudly as, as the words to encourage it. Just, it's very frustrating to hear these things. Yeah, and I know you're with the Browns and I've spoken to the Browns and they, they were going to have a stud dog and they, they just said, Phil, it's just, it's a nightmare. Like the legislation, the paperwork, the hassle around it. We're not doing another litter. And the easy thing for people to do is just send them to Ireland. Like I just send them off to Ireland. They're reared. We know how they're reared. It's all done. And the cost of doing it right here. So out of hours vet fees to feed them right, to do it right, the land, the cost of buying land, and then the time. I think. A lot of trainers, and I don't want to insult anybody, but a lot of trainers will go, I'm just going to breed a litter on the side. Kind of go, oh, we watch them in Ireland and they're in a paddock. We'll stick them in a paddock and get them out at 12 months old. There's way more goes into it than that. I mean, way, way more. I Nutrition, we are obsessed with the brood bitch. Obsessed with the brood bitch. They're wormed daily from day 40 to three days after. The pups are weighed. Everything is meticulous. The feeding of the pups. I mean, I come home on a Friday. First thing I do, as soon as I'm up, out, 
What, how are the pups looking? How are these looking? Everything. I don't know if you saw the video the other day, as playing with a little flirt pole, trying to get the instinct of chase into them. They'll see lures early on. They get, we put them around the kids. The It brings us on to the schooling tracks. The We used to put the pups in the van, nip them up to places like Asken, flapping track, schooling track, and they'd get a wonder around. They'd hear the noise of the hair. They'd see it. It was all, and, and it's in the strategy where they talk about socialization. That was socialization. That was the big thing. The only place we take them now is the whippet track because there's nowhere to go. So my dog's first introduction and to the track is being woke up early on a Sunday morning, put in the back of a van, being driven three hours to Bista, taken out, warmed up, emptied, slipped on a track, so given a hand slip, see if they chase, sorted out, put back in the van, three hours on. I mean, would you want that? <laughs> Is it conducive to getting the best out of a pup? The litter of five that we're doing at the minute, cracking litter, one of them don't travel very well. So she gets the bista, she comes out, she's a bit like, oh, my life, what's happening? And you're expecting them to concentrate and give them their best. Now, yes, you can take them to your, your track that you're attached to, and yes, they will do schooling. I guarantee you they're in anybody with the time of Jeff Seeley. Like, Jeff and his family, what they will do for pups at Vista. And I know I contacted you, Joe, and said, if you fancy coming and watching, come over on Sunday morning. Go and meet Jeff. The way... I've, neither of you have been, have you? No, I'd love to. I will go. I will take you up on that and go for sure. <laughs> so Jeff's got a little track in the middle of the woods <laughs> and he's got his little hut where he drives the hair from and his hair, the handle that controls the hair, coughs and splutters and there's a bit of smoke and honestly, there's so much character about it. That man knows more about pups than anybody in this country. He can control that hair better than any hair driver in this country. He knows if a pup needs dragging on and pulling into the rail. He knows if he needs to back off and get it to chase a little bit. If they have to tie a little arm on, that they have a little bit that dangles down onto the hair, they'll take time to do that. He will do anything to get your pups chasing properly. Now, we turn up and we've done a lot of the work at home. So we know, well, we hope they're going to chase. There's always the nerves. But then little things like, when you finish your dogs, you walk up the stairs and I say that walk for a breeder up Jeff's steps is the best bit in the whole journey because you can stand there and go, oh, that looked like it went well. He knows and he will turn around and just give you a little nod or say that's special, Phil. And he stands there and he clocks him and look at Maverick. On the clock, Maverick wasn't the fastest. He wasn't fire off, but he wasn't the fastest round Bister. Jeff was adamant he was going to be the best. And he would say, Phil, they are special. They are real, real good dogs. So you take them a couple of times, you get them going, and then you put them away. I've tried to do the same at licensed tracks. The hairdrivers don't have the same passion. They're not as into the pups. I mean, Sheffield will listen to us and they'll help us out as much as we can. But little things like, you have to remember to tell the hairdriver, this is a pup, I need you to control it, slow it down. When it gets, most hairs will have an automatic 
system, when it gets to the finish line, it'll whip the hair round to the pickup. Do not do that with my pup. Because if this pup doesn't know where it's chasing, at the end of the day, we're asking them to chase something bright orange that they never catch. <laughs> they have to have that will and we have to nurture it. And it's about training. And it's not stick a dog on a track and it'll run. It's training. And that's what we do a lot of here. And the guys in Ireland will do it and there's other people doing it. I'm not saying I know it all, but there's so, so much that goes into it. I mean, it sounds like it is very, very difficult from start to finish to, you know, breed, raise, rear, um, but you've got to put the work in for, you know, the success that, you, that you're that you going to have, Phil. We, we all know that you're going to have this success because, one, it's already starting to come through, and two, you have got the drive to make, you know, the British breeding scene. Well, I think what they call it is a disruptor isn't it? You know, like the Elon Musk of the uh, of the space <laughs> world. <laughs> you know, you've got that drive, you've got that, you know, that just that um, intense focus on what you want to do. And I know you keep saying you don't know exactly where you want to be, but the breed inside of it, you can tell the passion is there. And we hope, I'm sure Joe will agree that you continue with it because we do need a really good British breeding scene and we've got it. But as you say, people are starting to drop off and we need the, you know, the new up and comers coming in. And we need someone like yourself with a passion to, to drive stuff with the GBGB who can make changes, you know, within the sport in, in Great Britain. Because if, you know, if there's not someone like you telling them you need to do X, Y and Z, who's going to do it? I try on your shoulders here Phil (laughs) the problem is there always seems to be I I don't know if you'd seen can you remember Jerry Maguire of course something had happened I can't remember what had happened but somebody or a couple of people had annoyed me in the greyhound world and I came on ranting and raving and I'll be honest I would have quit a long time ago if it wasn't for Keely. Okay. I am a hothead. I am on my nerves. Everything's the worst. Keely is methodical, planning, laid back. It'll work out. Drives me nuts. But we have to have it. Okay. Something had happened. I can't remember. I came home. There's going to be a Jerry Maguire moment. We won't be racing anymore. I'm about to kick off. Get ready. I'm going to tell everybody what needs to happen. The following day, you guys messaged me, would you go on the podcast? I was like, oh dear. <laughs> now we're in trouble. But I've always done it. I was the chair of the student union. I lectured. I got straight on there. Like anything I've done, I just, I want things to be fair. That's my big thing. I like fairness. But ultimately, I want things, no matter what it is that you're doing, to achieve their full potential. And I listen to a lot of podcasts and I read a lot around like, sportsmen and businessmen that have that have got to where they are and it breaks my heart where we currently are and all I want to do is turn up and race my dogs with like-minded people and try and breed and try and have the best dog so we turn up in the whippet and yes that might drive us a bit crazy but it's great for the kids it's relaxed it's chilled Keely's got her her top whippets that we breed as well we race those we have loads of fun we get masses out of it 
ultimately the flapping days that's what you had like like-minded people into the dogs all there for the same reason all chatting greyhounds you wanting to breed the top dog you wanting to own the top dog i want greyhound racing to be the best that it can possibly be at the minute it's nowhere near now I bang on a lot about image and a lot about this. And then I look at the picture that I put on the other day of me holding the dog and my hair looks a mess and we're not dressed very nice. And I'm like, that's my fault. Like I beat myself up for that because I want to portray the sport the best that it can be, which is why we do a lot with the pups. We try and show the pups with the kids. We try and show what we do with the pups. We make all our own food. Everything is made. We don't feed a biscuit. We feed a tiny bit to top up. Everything is handmade, everything. And I don't, I'm like I say, I'm not the best, but I just want us to achieve what we really, really can achieve with the right people in place and, and making the right decisions. And the breeding side of it, I, I'm not the only one doing it. And there are lots, but the likes of Peter Richardson up north, he's desperate to get into it. Like he's got the passion for it. There's loads of guys who have the passion. Michael Connolly up in Scotland reads some amazing stuff. We have to celebrate these people. Like Dave Firmiger, it doesn't do much in the press and I don't know him. I've never met him. But from a breeder, I, I have to stand there in awe of what this guy does. Like anybody that is interested in breeding, look at Romeo Magico, okay? I would never want to play chess with Dave Firmiger, ever. Because that must have been planned five or six generations ago. He literally had a bitch called Fast March. He knew he was going to breed offspring of that and double up on her. He bred himself a stud dog, Romeo Recruit. He then bred himself out of that a brood bitch and finally put that to the stud that he chose and got himself Romeo Magico and Fabulous Azura. And people say it's luck. Let me tell you, it's not. It is time and patience. And we don't get it right. <laughs> if you look at, um, I've got a little bitch called Keyfield Valley. Vale, everybody thinks it's called, but it's Valley. They're, they were motorsport litter. I, I thought I was being smart. I was like, everybody's using um, Bolger and Malachi. And we've got Ballymac InSpeed in the UK. I'll just use InSpeed. InSpeed. On track, beat Malachi, stunning dog, unreal, like temperament, etc. Bred Tarzan about to him at about six weeks old. I said to Keely, I don't like them. They're a bit nervy. I'm not sure about them. So we put a lot into them, really tried to bring them out. Genetics, it just was not happening. Like <laughs> I rehomed one at 12 months. My cousin's got him as a pet. <laughs> <laughs> the favourite picture that she sent me, somebody came to her house with a white cockapoo and he's now called Shadow. Shadow was six steps up on the stairs, panicking because a cockapoo had just walked into the house. I mean, they were, she's A2 is Keyfield Vale, or Valley, but the others unfortunately wanted to fight. You can't predict that. That's just one of those things. I mean, we try and look at genetics and you try and predict the outcome of genetics because ultimately what breeding is is a massive pool of genetics of dna and you're trying to accentuate the chances of the good parts of the dna coming out 
And that's in everything. That's in temperament you want. So Maverick, okay? Maverick went into Doncaster for only the second time on Saturday. He had to be kenneled for three and a half hours. That's the first time he's ever been kenneled for that long before he raced under lights for the first time in an open race. So we travel into the track. He does, or the whole line do everything right. They eat well, they're cleaning the kennel. You ask them to go up the gallop. Maverick comes up the gallop and you just kind of go, please look after yourself. He goes, he's like George. They do not take a back step about anything. And we walked into the kennels at Doncaster to get him out before the race. He was on his back, legs in the air, literally looking at us to say, do I have to move? Really? I mean, that, that is perfect because you've got a dog that's travelled well, not stressing himself out. He comes out. He's like, okay, I'll show him, get ready. Gets himself warmed up, warm him out. And I don't know if you've watched the race. There was at least three times in that race that dog was beat. Like Pete hand and messaged me afterwards. He said he's shown some balance on, on that bend. And his will to win. He checked at the bend. Goose tried stopping him. He still fought his way through. And that, that's, as a breeder, that's the biggest thing you're trying to achieve. Will he win a derby? Who knows? But will I be competing cat ones? Hopefully. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's where we are. Sorry, I'm just watching the Keyfield Maverick race because I thought <laughs> I'd just have a go before I forget because I'm, I'm absolutely hopeless. At, um, if it's not written down, and if I don't do it immediately, it doesn't happen, which I'm guessing, Phil, is kind of like your life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now we do ask this of every trainer we have on the podcast phil but um i'm gonna <laughs> i don't think we'll get um well what do you do to relax phil? Yeah. anything at all when 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 joe sent me the questions i read them out to keely and she just laughed <laughs> <laughs> not uh, at all of them i hope <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't. I don't. I I used to cook. <laughs> that was my relaxation. I don't get time to do that anymore. I do Christmas dinner. Um, <laughs> uh, if we get chance, we'll sit down and watch a film together. Um, I don't. I don't is the honest answer. My, I spend a lot of time driving, a lot of time in the car. There's There's certain podcasts I listen to. That's probably my switch off time a little bit. Um, yeah, apart from that, I don't. It's My mind is a million miles an hour. I don't understand people when they say, oh, I'm just chilling. I'm like, give over. How can you? There's things to do. Um, is it healthy? No. <laughs> do I tell my patients to do the same? No. <laughs> I constantly talk to my patients about stress management. And I've tried. Like I say, I suffer... I suffered really bad with social anxiety in the past. And I I paraded Goose um, on Saturday, and he's my first open race dog that I've ever taken on. Um, I don't do well with nerves. I'm a nervous wreck, even when the Whippets are racing. I clearly won championships this year, beside myself. Um, but it's life, isn't it? I, I want to live it to the full. I, I lost a big patch of it when I was ill with my nerves. From that day on, I said, I, I try to say yes to most things. We try to have a go at most things. The kids, we grab we grab an hour. We do time with them. I mean, if I do get any spare time, I'm usually playing Lego. 
um, with Seb or Beatrice is jumping on me and wanting to sing and dance. Um, so we do a lot with them. But apart from that, it's planning. <laughs> if anybody can figure out how I can get a dog to Oxford <laughs> to trial ready for the Opens next year, that'd be great. Because right now, <laughs> I'm not sure. Yeah. But then, um, hold on. We'll come on to a question that we got from Peter Harden actually in a sec, but just on the greyhound side of things, who have been your favourite dogs over the years that you've watched? Not necessarily that you've been involved with, but you know, the stars that have really captured your imagination. Um, Irish cycle performance, greyhound, Irish greyhound derby winner, loved watching him. And it, it's kind of what, going back to the Sky Sports days, really, um, when I was a kid. Now, Premier Fantasy, I almost don't want to see the race again, to be honest. And uh, David Beale put some great stuff out. He was trying to find me the race, but I've got an image in my race of, in my head of Premier Fantasy against Ring Crew Seagal taking off down the back straight. And it, in my head, it's the best thing I've ever seen in Graham racing. So Premier Fantasy, just phenomenal dog on track for me. Um, and some top, top dogs coming through at the minute. Um, the Irish... Irish scene at the minute just seems to be getting hotter and hotter. Um, I don't know if ever you've been to to Clonmel. Um, over for the coursing, there was a bitch that won the Oaks a few years ago, um, Grace and Glamour. And before we had the kids, we used to try and get over and, and watch the coursing. And Grace and Glamour went up the final day of the Oaks. She ran up the field three times. I think she was in six spots every run on the clock. Now that to do that up that hill is unbelievable. So just, yeah, the whippets. I, people used to come to the house, who's your best dog? I point to Keeley's brood bitch. Her brain. The dog had run through brick walls for you. Just unbelievable. And then, unfortunately, we we lost him in a, in an accident. We lost Danny, and he never fulfilled his potential. And I don't know if, if you guys saw him. Best like dog of a lifetime. What, what Danny... Keyfield George got to Cat 1 final, which dreams are made of, of in your first 18 months reaching a Cat 1 final. I mean, we never expected to do that. George has, a, he'll never be flashy on the clock, but he has a desire to win and a drive that you rarely see in dogs. And unfortunately, in the final, he, he missed his kick. Um, but what he did in the semi final, and I wasn't there, I was at Sheffield. Keely was in tears and and she's not an emotional person. For her to well up when George did that in the semi-final. The year we've been through this year, the ups and downs, losing Danny, financially setting up has been crippling. Sorry, I'm digressing again. Um, but for George to do that, for us to, to kind of finish the year was massive because Danny, Danny was Keely's dog and at 12 months old, he beat George up the gallop and I couldn't believe it. And from that day on, nothing got near Danny. And what he could do on a track, I mean, Lynx Maverick was starting at the same time and both me and Tom entered a 480 at Sheffield and it didn't fill. And we were both talking about, should we try and get a match race on? Because we were both desperate to start these pups. And one more race, when he took off down that back straight. Um, and again, he was one legs he'd be upside down in the van just chilled out um so yeah um there's been there's special dogs everywhere you just and I, I do I watch a lot of Irish racing and 
in my spare time that, that I get any. Um, and you just got to get excited by them, haven't you? And we need to do more to, to big up those dogs, really. Absolutely. And I think talking about the great Irish racing we had last weekend, uh, Droopy's Mandolin, that was one that she took off down the back straight. And that was so when they do that, sometimes it just takes your breath away, doesn't it? Oh, it does. And I mean, have you looked at the litter on data? Unbelievable litter. So um, Pete Richardson, this is how sad I am. So I do a lot of looking at, at brood bitches and looking at stuff that's coming through for the unraced stakes in Ireland. So the big race of the year will be, you start at Clonmel for the Hawaii unraced, you go to Tralee for the un, big unraced stake, um, and then onto the Concurbit. And Tralee is where the superstars come out. Like Graham Holland launches at Clonmel, but Tralee, you are getting some animals. And there was a, an unraced stake in Cork that I was looking at and Droopy's flight line popped up and I noticed he was still under the name of Dumphy's and I mentioned, I messaged Pete, I went, here we go, there might be something special here. Why would have these have kept one in their name? It never happens. And when he took off, I think he's unbeaten, isn't he? He's, he's some machine and Mandolin's his little sister. They are. But you go back, again, it's not luck. Droopy's curio, how good was she on track? I mean, when she took off and her legs were flying, she I can't remember if she won an Oaks, but she was definitely in the Irish Oaks final. Um, the bitch I've got here, Ballymac Juliet, she was in it with her. She finished third. Um, so it's all that the genetics are there. And and dogs like Mandolin. And it what Ian Fortune does well. And I wish the GBGB would do it and employ somebody. And you guys, I mean, you guys, you're invested in the greyhound world. And I know, Danny, you work in the greyhound world, etc. But you're not being paid to do this. You're not being paid to do these podcasts. You've done it off your own back because you know we needed it. And we do need them. I mean, I read the greyhound press and I listen to some of the stuff on TV. They don't know the young pups coming through. It, every Monday night, Ian Fortune and Tommy Lyons release a, a YouTube program that's about an hour long, an hour and a half long. What they don't know about greyhound racing, and it comes out every week, and they fill all that time talking about all the top racing that's happened over the past week, all the pups coming through, all the exciting stuff. And why can't we have somebody in the UK employed to sell that. I mean, talking dogs will be updated regularly. Barry Drake, he does one on a Thursday, 20 minutes long, goes and interviews somebody that's big from the week ahead. Just getting people excited about what's happening. But we as a sport need to engage in it. And the amount of people I've, I've said to people, have you listened to the podcast? No. Well, why not? I mean, your Lord Lipsy podcast, there's loads in that loads that we we as a sport as a stakeholder we have to know about that stuff and you guys got it out of it the mark mosley one I, I wanted to crash the car i was like how anybody can say well there was no how, how did it word um about the clocks something like they, they weren't interested in the clocks well no of course they weren't Sheffield have a clock. It's not in the middle of the track. I guarantee you 95% of everybody there 
involved in greyhounds will look at the clock. <laughs> so we want a clock. The people that he asked, they don't want a clock. Ask the right people. Give us a clock. <laughs> it, it's it's the little things. When Ian Fortune reads out the third bend split and you know a dog's absolutely flying, how, as a commentator, how much more does that bring to the sport? When George was starting off, I remember his first A1 or second A1. No, it weren't an A1. He didn't get to him. Did he get to an A1? Anyway, his first or second four bend race, I'm in the middle of the track and I looked at the clock and I'm like, what's happened to him? Well, straight away as a trainer, I know he's got blistering early. I know he led, but the clock was off. And that's because he doesn't stay 500. But as a trainer, as an owner, do you want to wait for the card coming out with the results later on so you can see what time your dog does? No. You want it there and then instant. Sorry, I'm ranting. <laughs> no, it's right. Well, I think we both agree, don't we, Danny? I mean, I was at Oxford on Friday, obviously, with the Challenge Cup trial stakes. And, you know, you want to you want to compare the times of the, the runners and see how you're getting on. Obviously, said on Twitter, you could tell visibly that the track was getting slower as, as the night went on because the dogs were finding it hard work. And, and Lauren herself, she got out well. She was unopposed and she did a 40-14, which is very slow for her, you know, when she gets loose like that. You, you know, you know straight away it's a, it's a very slow track. And I just, you know, it, it's all about the times. The, the dogs run in visibly looks great as a spectacle. But when you, you want to drill down into the detail and know the time, that's what it's all about, you know, comparing oh. times and information. Of course it is. And as a breeder, it, it, it's one of the things you go on. The, the Greyhound data ratings aren't an exact science. And England is kind of an afterthought on the Greyhound data website. But my way of assessing a dog, I flick on what's its offspring done. Click them in order. How many has it got in 100? How many ratings has it got in 100? Okay, are they valid ratings? I.e., is something a dodgy sprint run where it's got a crazy rating? you look at a clock and you know what they should be doing. You know to get excited. When when Maverick had that was it his second sprint run at Sheffield, I mean, I hollered. I, I'm a grown man. I got excited. And I probably whooped, but definitely got excited. And that's because it flashed up that he'd just done a 16-10. I, this is a young pup having his fourth go out of a trap, second day at Sheffield. He's just clocked to 16-10. Give me that buzz. Give me that excitement. Don't make me wait till later. That's and and we could be selling that. Like, it's a huge thing that we could be selling. Completely, one hundred percent agree. Now we do have a question from Peter Harden on social media. Said, could I firstly thank Phil for being the only trainer to accept the invite to sit on the welfare committee, and could you ask him what changes he would like to see to give trainers more of a say in running the sport? Nice of Pete, isn't it? <laughs> 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 thanks for helping me out here's a loaded question <laughs> <laughs> um look when i was setting up um even when i was setting up as an owner trainer pete i was constantly nagging him about what sh how should i design this how should i build this and he was there and there's been loads of trainers that have helped me along the way um but when pete said about going on the welfare committee I don't know how long you guys have been following like social media or whatever, but I have quite a science background in terms of my the way that I work. I try and be evidence-led. It's very difficult. <laughs> the evidence changes regularly, but I try to stay up-to-date with evidence. Now, there's lots 
in welfare. There's lots in greyhound racing where we have technology, where we have advances in nutrition that I've always believed we should be pushing and we should be really, really fine-tuning and being more involved with. Pete knows that because I've ranted to him many times and he, I think it probably started around the four-day rule and he said something and I was like, well, here's the evidence if you want to know. Like, they might have cited glycogen recovery, but it's wrong. Like, glycogen recovery, if your dog's healthy, if you're doing everything right, you should be fully recovered within 24 hours. Now, a good trainer knows their dog inside out. If you want to improve it, add some maltodextrin, add a bit of protein, you'll get it within three hours of racing, you'll get it even faster. So when Pete said, would you go on? I was like, absolutely. If you want to change something, you need to be within. I also put something together about four years ago, gave it to the GBGB regards what you can do around education, around research, around going forward. And that was taken away. And some of it seems to be coming through, but I've had no involvement. in it. So when he said, would you go on? Absolutely. I've gone on and I'm the only trainer that sits on there. Um, Pete kind of said, will you help me? I thought I'd be there as well, but he's busy. And um, I don't know how he's done it. I don't know how he does what he does and has represented trainers and carries on to represent trainers without pulling his hair out and banging his head against a brick wall. Because we just do not have fair representation. It's that simple. He, When you have a voting system and trainers and owners have two votes, you are always going to be outvoted by the other side. And ultimately, they're making the decisions. Pete fights very, very hard, but we don't see it. And that's the sad thing in it all. Like, I see people ranting and moaning, and he's uh, today he's asking a question on Twitter and trying to get feedback from people. And that's great, but we have to have some kind of forum. Now, there was one set up a few years ago that never came to fruition. There has to be a way that as stakeholders, we can come together, breeders, owners, and trainers, set aside differences and egos and leave it at the door. And we need some intelligent, sensible people to kind of go, you can't just scream and shout because it's not going to change anything. It's politics. But what can we all do to work together to make the sport better? And then what we need is the GBGB and promoters, use that term, um, to go, let's work with the stakeholders. Let's give them some representation and actually listen to them. And we need an equal voice on that board. Do I think it's going to happen? No. <laughs> but communication has to change. There's lots of good things that happens at the GBGB. There's lots of good happening on the welfare committee, but they just don't tell people about it. Right? Mark Mosley, well, we're doing this, but I can't tell you about it. Brilliant. I mean... Trainers, somebody said something about um, the Australians doing using nose imprints as fingerprints so you can we can eventually stop ta uh, ear tattooing, okay? The GBGB are already looking into it, but nobody knows about it. But 
we have to shout and scream about these things so people know that they do listen on certain things and they are making changes. But Pete needs help. And as an organisation, we need them to listen a little bit more. From my point of view, might get myself into trouble a bit, but hey-ho, the, the science side of things, it will be handed over to vets. So there's loads of research that I've wanted to do in the past. I've said all my dogs are here to do research on. You can come and do everything. I've got loads of ideas for scientific research going forward. Nothing comes forward. All the research will be handed over to vets, which is great because then they get better kudos, but they then need to come and work with trainers to understand the day in the day out. So for instance, all the science says you shouldn't use electrolyte on dogs. Dogs shouldn't need it. It should replenish themselves. As trainers, we know certain dogs need and benefit massively from certain electrolytes on the, after a race. So therefore, as an organization, because we don't have a voice, we need them to listen to us about that and go, okay, so the science says not. And this is why in my practice, we use the word evidence-led because some things just don't fully fit the science and we have to find a way of making that work. Does that answer the question or have I waffled? No, it absolutely answers the question, Phil. Perfect. Um, I think you are, like I say, I think you might be the disruptor that the uh, the board needs and the voice that we definitely, definitely need in the Greyhound world. So uh, thank you in advance for everything I know that you're going to be able to hopefully do in the future. Joe. Can I, can I just ask one more question? Phil, brilliant. Thank you very much for your time and your thoughts. I found it really interesting. You know, again, we chat anyway, sort of offline, don't we, about breeding because I find it fascinating and I learn a lot from you and asking you questions. I really appreciate your input and thoughts. It's, it's great. Um, but how many dogs do you have living with you, greyhounds, whippets or any other breed at the moment? Because it sounds like an absolute madhouse. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Uh, we've just gone past the 50 barrier. <laughs> um, wow. <laughs> so there's five retirees in the house. Um, they have their own place when the kids are up and about. Um, they include whippets and greyhounds. Um, there's the pups outdoors, a couple of whippets. Uh, guard dog, who keeps everybody safe. <laughs> so Pip. <laughs> um, she's the most integral part of it all. Um but yeah, it, it, look, again, I went to Jeff's and Jeff and Yvonne are very busy. Jeff checks a lot of dogs, works away. And I saw his system. He doesn't have a lot of dogs, but he has a system set up so one person can do it. Yvonne helps him a bit, but on the whole, Jeff can do it. And we tried to do the same. And I'm nowhere near where we want to be, but we've adapted the buildings to the kennels and we just try and do the whole thing so one of us can do it pretty easily and we do need some staff and be able to afford it but yeah it's it's fun well, 20, yeah. 20, 2024 derby win and then you can fix the roof as well how's that <laughs> no i'd spent that i'd spent the uh, the art classic money before we got it and we didn't get it so <laughs> <laughs> Again, again, Mike Davis saying uh, manage risk. <laughs> um, but it is, it, uh, oh, 
for the first year we got you get you set up you get nothing financially you get nothing they literally turned up within a week of us having a license for a year and went oh you can get this grant and you're like we have just killed ourselves for a year and now you're saying we can have some money and i'm a stubborn sod and i went you know what i'm not doing it we'll just do it his own way so we got about 50 i think um Keely's the goal setter. She wants to win a Cat 1 next year. That's her plan. Um, she's told me her name needs to be on the list. Um, in Greyhounds, we didn't really have any goals this year. Um, just get established and breed a few more good ones. Whippet, she told me she wanted to win the BWRA Championships at the start of the year, which is the ultimate. We did that with Ooh. the homebred. <laughs> so <laughs> the summer will be crazy because then we have to go Whippet racing as well. And... Yeah, that's us. Well, you want a job? <laughs> <laughs> Keep doing what you're doing, Phil, because it sounds like you live life to the absolute max. And, mm. you know, Keely sounds absolutely amazing. So maybe we need to get her on the podcast next time around. <laughs> yeah. I keep telling her to. I keep telling her she needs to put herself out. She's like, <laughs> she's the goal setter. And, uh, you know, like the American business sales models and things like that. She used to be massively into the mantras and would have the boards and the achievement boards and I would wind her up. But she, she's a diamond, absolute diamond. What, what she does, her and her dad here, when I'm away with the kids, with the dogs, managing everything, she's, at the minute she's taken seven pups to the vets. We've got trying, going... <laughs> tie things into nap times Beatrice will be down having a nap granddad's here listening Keely shoots to the vets I'll do the dogs yeah everybody's happy and I do want to say thank you to you two as well for for doing these podcasts like I say you didn't have to nobody asked you to you don't get paid for it you put the work in to get the people on and in the UK it doesn't happen Many people have started, everybody stops, okay? <laughs> you guys and the likes of David B that put stuff online all the time and are pushing things forward, and there's plenty of people like that that are really, really trying. And um, so, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. And thank Thanks, you Phil. for being on the podcast, Phil. I know it's taken a while, but boy, was it worth it, and our listeners are going to be very, very happy to listen it was absolutely superb wasn't it joe absolutely brilliant yeah thanks phil now we know we fully understand why it was so hard uh, <laughs> to coordinate our diaries <laughs> it's all perfectly clear to us now but it was great to have you on again you know thanks for giving up an hour and a half of your time phil um you know i think people are going to love listening to you to your story and, and how you're going about things and uh, yeah wish you the best of luck obviously you always follow your dogs anyway but you know hope that cat one success is just around the corner you deserve it Thank you. We're trying. We'll keep trying. And uh, hopefully Maverick, Goose, Dares and the next litter, they can uh, they can get us there. Get us in the Trainers' Championship, maybe. Fingers <laughs> crossed. Well, it was a great chat with Phil Milner. I mean, what a guy. He just never stops. And Keely must be the most relaxed, laid-back person you'll ever meet in your life. She sounds fantastic. Can't wait to meet her. Um, but we are going to go and dive into the betting side of the Gone to the Dogs podcast now. And we're going to start with 
Tonight, Friday, of course, it is the Bet365 Challenge Cup. Got four heats. The first of them sees Trap 1, Havana Top Note, two Maglass Brave, three Long Acres Nutty, four Mad for Sterling, five Freestyle Sue, and six Droopies Creative. Joe, who's your fancy? Yeah, this is the heat to be in, I think. There's no there's no um, trial stakes winners. Call, call it trial stakes, but obviously you need to come in the top three to, to qualify for the heats. Um, I've backed... I've obviously backed my own dog, Lively Lauren, uh, at 12s, but I have also had an each way bet on Droop is Creative at 33 to 1. I think she's the, well, she is the track record holder here. Um, she's very capable. She did a terrible, not a terrible split, that's harsh, but she didn't do her best split last week, but she stays so strongly. She sees this 650 metres out really well. Um, she did well to to qualify in third last week because she met all sorts of trouble and she had a lot to do. I just think this is a, a slightly easier race and I don't expect her to get out as badly this week. So um, I, I just think that she's going to be a, a little spot of value here and I, I'm, I'm probably going to back her unless she's a silly price, but I don't don't think she will be um honorable mention to Havana top note um as well he did come second behind new destiny who was ultra impressive last week fastest time of the night um i got there just as the uh the hair was running for the first trial stake and saw a new destiny in action um and you know she was mightily impressive so uh yeah Havana top note in one's got a good chance but um i, I think droop is creative out wide um could take the heat Okay, Droopy's creative with a word on Havana top note. Heat two sees track one, Forest Rowana, two, New Destiny, three, Ella Maestro, four, Etta's Dream, five, All Right, Patricia, and six, Havana Lover. Now, I've always loved Havana Lover. She, you know, what you get in with her. She absolutely loves staying trips. But New Destiny seems to be, Joe, the new kid on the block. Yeah, for sure. Again, you know, I've obviously just mentioned it. She was ultra impressive last week. Um, you've got Havana Lover, who obviously won the Hunt Cup earlier in the year, Bet365 Hunt Cup over course and distance. Um, I, I think if I remember correctly, she was coming back off a break then and she was she was very fresh and she um, improved as the competition went on. Whereas she's been sort of on the go a little bit here. But look, she beat Mini Bullet last week, Havana Lover out wide, which is no mean feat. Mini Bullet's a, a very good bitch in her own right. There's been a lot of support for, um, for all right, Patricia, who who won her heat last week. And then you've got Ella Maestro, who was impressive in a maiden um, the week before last. And then obviously beat Mad for Sterling in a quick time. Last week, again, you know, all right, Patricia at big prices and Ella Maestro were both supported in the anti-post market. And we haven't even got to New Destiny yet in Trap 2, who was the fastest of the night. As I said, you know, 39.30 um, calculated time. I mean, that is absolutely rapid. Um, what I will say is it, the track last week definitely got a lot, lot slower as the night went on. So New Destiny mm -hmm. was in the first trial stake and she definitely had the best of conditions. There was a little delay um, I can't remember whether it was before the second or third trial stake because of um, something to do with the, the tractor um, and the fog came down. As I said, you know, it was freezing, it got colder and, and you could tell visibly the dogs were finding it a lot harder. Um, so I think you've got to take some of the times with a little, you know, a little bit of precaution. However, it's new destinies to lose, but this is the heat of doom for sure. <laughs> I mean, you've got what one, two, three, four trial stakes winners in here. I think New Destiny and two can, you know, if she does anything like a 15-0-3 split again, she's going to be impossible to beat. Um, and then it's just who's going to qualify. I mean, any of these could could qualify in, in second and third. And um, wouldn't like to call it. It's a, it's a top quality race, this one. 
certainly is. I mean, New Destiny, she's only been twice over the uh, six bends. First at Monmore, I was um, on Racing Post TV on that day and she absolutely blitzed them from the off. And she did the same at Oxford last week. So she really does look a superstar stayer in the making. Then we get to the best heat of the night. Uh, track one, Lively Lauren, two, I Am The Sydney, three, King Ezra, four, Coppice Warrior, five, Gargars Mary, and six, Ballymac John Joe. Now, last week I was impressed um, by the three heat winners that we've got in here. Obviously, I Am The Sydney and Ballymac John Joe, they've only seen um, Oxford um, in race conditions once apiece, whereas Lively Lauren has been around Oxford quite a few times. And I think that's going to stand her in good stead because she's got the draw, she's got the split times, Yes, she's got Angsa Sydney on the outside who can break as well. But I think Lively Lauren, I'm hoping she goes uh, for the hat trick. Hope you're right, Danny. Yeah, it's great to. I've always followed Ballymat John Joe. Um, he's he's Lauren's uh, litter mate, litter brother. And obviously uh, the MWD partnership brought him over from Ireland. And, uh, you know, it's great to see him in the competition. And he won well last week. So he got two litter mates going head to head here. Angsa Sydney was very impressive. As you said, first look. It's entitled to improve from that very quickly away, you know, 1509 split last week, um, 3968 um, calculated time. But I just, I'm hoping, look, I just want to obviously qualify with Lively Lauren, top three will do. I'm pleased with the drawing one, you know, I, I wouldn't want to be outside of Iamza Sydney. I'm glad we're on his inside, but ultimately she's, she's got to break well and, and get out. I think, you know, just talking about the track again, she did, um, it was a 40 point, one four last week and mm. she got out relatively well not one of her best splits but she got out well and was unchallenged and like for her to do that time when when she hasn't had any trouble and she's had a clear run tells you how slow it is because she can do you know a lot quicker times than that uh, half a second easily when she gets out like that so um you know that tells you how much hard work it was and, and gutsy jet was was closing on her but but she's she's only had two runs back from a break herself Mm. Um, so she's entitled to improve. It's only a second run over, you know, six bends since she's since she's come back. So I'm hoping she'll strengthen up. I am as a Sydney is is a worthy adversary here. Um, lovely, lovely dog. Um, but you know, fingers crossed for lively Lauren. All in on lively Lauren and the 803, which will be the Bet365 Challenge Cup Heat number four. Sees track one, Queen Pink, two mini bullet, three Gutsy Jet, four Farnies Willie, five All Right Gordy, and six Ted's Dexter. I actually thought. Mini Bullet couldn't have been drawn any better uh, than in this heat because there are, uh, well, it's just one heat winner, or trial states winner, sorry, Farney's Willie in trap four. And she, we know how good she is, you know, the MWD partnership and Mark uh, Mark Wallace, they, they absolutely love this bitch. Um, I was talking to Emily about her as well. They couldn't be more uh, proud of what she's done uh, throughout her career and they really really rate her so I think she's got a great draw she's got a good time obviously and I think she's going to go uh, and take some beating here yeah I, I do echo what you say if she can get out she'll be hard to beat but I was really impressed with the way Gutsy Jet ran Lively Lauren down last week you know finished really strongly um, to get within half a length of her and I think you know if he can um, if he can improve his split 15-59 then he's got a chance, you know. He can if he can tuck in behind Queen Pink and Mini Bullet. I'd exp and he was he's closer in a position. I think he's definitely got the ability to close them down here. Um, we'll we'll see how the tracks run in Friday. If it's going to be hard work or whether it's a little bit quicker. The forecast is better, so I expect it to be a little bit quicker this week. And then, as you say, Danny Mini Bullet could be away and gone for sure. She has got a nice draw there. Um, but I think I'll probably just take a chance with Gutsy Jet um, in the expectation that he might be a decent price. 
Now we move on to Saturday where we have got Hove. We're just going to give it a token mention purely because we don't have prices and whatever for the six heats of the Coral Olympic. And we've got four heats of the George Curtis and Bally Reagan Bob Memorial. So fantastic night at Hove. And it's going to be, a, well, two very hot competitions. Obviously, we'll be covering the finals in our next podcast. But we, um, yeah, have a great night on Saturday. So I hope you enjoy it. Fantastic. Yeah, we've got Hollow, Hollow Man and King Memphis leading the anti-post for the Olympic. New in Sid, who we've mentioned earlier, obviously won the Eclipse, his, his third favourite, Queen Shakira. Got Wasted Monday, who probably looks the each-way value at 16, but top-class competition in the Bally Regan Bob too. We haven't got any prices for that at, at, at anti-post at the moment, but uh, brilliant action at Hove on, on Saturday night for the next few weeks. And then, Joe, Sunday. Sunday. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we've got the Poppy Oaks continuing. We saw some really good performances last Sunday um, and we've got the three semi-finals. And in the first one, we've got Velvet Violet in one, La Gitana in two, Westfield Whisper three, Dahuma Roxy in four, March on Kit five, one of the anti-post favourites and Easy Molly in six. Danny, you were watching the action on Sunday. What do you think of this semi-final? If March on Kit does what she did last week, she should take a heck of a lot of beating. She's very, very quick from the boxes. She won well uh, in the trial stakes uh, two Sundays ago. She won fairly cosily beating Southfield Petal last week in the uh, heats. And I just think she's got a great chance. You know, Dave Mullins does so, so well as, with his puppies uh, as well. So I just think March on Kit, she's perfectly fine in trap five. I know she's a middle and a lot of middles like three and four. She's won from uh, four and five on the last three outings that she's had. So really, really nice pup. I think she's got a great chance here to lead and win. The one that caught my eye is Velvet Violet on the inside for the Close Shave Syndicate and Phil Barlow because she ran a little bit green. Uh, it was only her first ever start here and she was two and a half lengths behind Queen Dusty. Now we know how good Queen Dusty is. Velvet Violet, I just thought... She's the dark horse in this race uh, because she's, like I say, very green, will have learned a lot from last week. She didn't get knocked about, which is good news. And yes, I think she'll finish second to March on kit, but I think Velvet Violet's got a really, really nice future. And then we go to semi-final two, Dahuma Princess uh, in one, Dreaming B in two, Delish Nora three, Droopers Debonair four, Coppice Ella in five, and Queen Dusty, you just mentioned in Trap 6. Do you think Queen Dusty's going to have it all her own way? Honestly, yes. Yes, I do. I think there's bits and pieces of early pace. You know, Delish Nora won really well last week. She beat Lajatana by length. She made every single yard of the running. I did think Lajatana was going to pick her up at one point, but she just didn't go through with her effort. And Delish Nora was really quite good for Patrick Janssens and Mr. Porter. But... I just think Queen Dusty, you know, she's been there, done that. She's got quite a few T-shirts now, Queen Dusty, and she's just top, top class for the KSS Syndicate and uh, Liz and Rab McNair. You know, she's been in a couple of Category 1s so far uh, already. She's behind Longfellow at Oxford. She was behind King Memphis. I just think she's got the experience. We know how good she is. She's got her draw to the outside as well. Uh, but I would say keep your eyes on Delish Nora because the 409 split of last week, she should clear everyone on the run to the first bend. And if she improves on her time of 29.53, she could run Queen Dusty close. But Queen Dusty put in a 29.29. They've got to go some to catch her. 
For sure. Um, and then we move on to semi-final three, which is at 3.28. Really impressive heat winner, Fabulous Terra in one. Southfield Petal in two. Long Acres Breeze three. Crafty Paradiso in four. Baggio's in tent five. And then another middle runner, Long Acres Honey in trap six. Danny, talk us through it. I mean, Fabulous Terra, she's just been absolutely fantastic. She's unbeaten four from four. Uh, she was poor perfect last week, 4-12 split. And just looking through the split time, she's got Crafty Padizo in track four who could uh, match her on the run to the first turn. But I just, in the end, think she's going to blow her away because she recorded, I think, the fastest time of the night. And again, Dave Mullins has his puppies in such good nick when they hit the track. I mean, this girl, she's just not put a pull wrong so far. She's raced at Romford um, in an A4. And then they went, ah, oh, she's pretty good. Chucked her into a few open races, put her in the puppy oats, and she absolutely blew them away. She beat Easy Molly like she was stood still. So I do think Fabulous Terra, she's got a great chance uh, on the inside. She's won from one, uh, two, three, and four so far. So I just don't think she really cares what uh, box she's in. What I will say is she did come out and slightly move off Fabulous Terra. There was um, a vacant box in her um, heat last week, or the trials. Yeah, the heat. I've got mixed up with my trial stakes and heats. She um she did move off, so I don't know that box one's necessarily fantastic for her, but I do think she'll clear Southfield Petal on the run to the first bench. I really don't think it's going to matter because Southfield Petal not the biggest uh, best of starters, and then the other one, like I say, to to focus in on is Crafty Padiso for Colin Whitten from Nottingham. Really good runs, uh, beaten Dahuma Princess and Longacres Breeze in the last two starts. She was an A2 runner uh, over at Nottingham and they thought her good enough to put into this competition. So she's proved that she's good enough and she she just kept finding last week. Um, a couple of people took her on at Crafty Padiso in her heat last week, but ultimately she won well and a massive price too. So she is definitely one to keep on side because she's got the split times to uh, back up what she, she's uh, been doing. Great stuff. And we'll all be watching on Sunday. We certainly will. Now, uh, word on the national sprint. Of course, I was at Nottingham on Monday and it was called off. It was abandoned, unfortunately, uh, after the first race. It was just so slow and they just couldn't race. It was waterlogged. They'd had snow. They'd had rain. The rain did not stop all day on Monday. Everybody was absolutely soaking. You know, when that you get that shine on the waterproof coats, everybody looked like that at Nottingham on Monday. So not me, I was in the office, but it was really, really bad weather. And so much so that they actually have abandoned a card later on in the week as well, um, the day before, because they just said, we just need to get the track back to normal. It's just been so, so bad that they couldn't race uh, for two days uh, last week or this week. They have rearranged their... National Sprint for the Monday, the 11th, for the heats. So next Monday, uh, Monday the 18th is going to be the semis. And then it's going to be Boxing Day for the final, uh, which is a bit of a treat on Boxing Day, I think, at Nottingham. So get yourselves down there. If you're not doing anything, uh, do make sure you support your tracks and get down and through the doors because it is a superb track. I like Nottingham a lot. Um, I'll be there to call the 18th, the now semis. I was going to be calling the final. Not going to call the final, just going to have to call the semis instead, which, to be fair, is more more good races. Um, but, yeah, uh, I don't know who's going to be calling the final, to be fair, but I know it won't be me. So very much looking forward to them, and I like Guzzler. His first look around the track was superb. He ran very wide on the bend. He got into trouble. He was just a bit green because he's still quite young guzzler but i thought he's got a really really good chance he's on the outside uh he's a wide seed he's in six and he's against quartera 
who obviously got beaten the last time we saw them saw Quatera at Nottingham and it got into all sorts of bother on the bend, but he's got quite um I wouldn't say an easy heat, but he's got a, a decent heat to win from uh, on Monday. And Guzzler's in that same heat. I, I'm just hoping he qualifies, quite frankly, because he's in against Guatera. But I think he's got a great chance because his first look around Nottingham was great. And I do think he's going to come on for that. Good stuff. Well, I've, I'm going to keep it very boring, but I've actually backed Guatera at 11 to 4. Yeah, you're on, you know, a short price favourite in a sprint comp. But it's one of those, again, I've said it before, I just can't see him not making the final. And then mm. he's going to be odds on in the final and you're getting 11 to 4. Obviously, it all sounds great in theory. It's still got to happen. Um, but I'm, I'm I'm sort of happy to, to to have that sort of bet in these sorts of competitions where he's the best in the class. Um, and, you know, it's not got, with all due respect, you know, compared to, comparatively to him anyway, not got a bit huge strength in depth. So I'd be disappointed if he didn't make the final. Pay your money, take your chance. Absolutely. Well, good luck. And then Same we to you, on. Danny. Good luck ah. with Gusler, who's 25 to 1. So. I know. Well, I just really enjoyed watching him run because obviously you get so much when you're there at the track as well. And he, he's just a little happy little boy. He's great. He's absolutely superb. Really enjoyed um, hearing what Belinda Green was saying as well because I was at the track and she was saying, you know, he's got a really good um, makeup. He's got a really good chance. He's, he's a great dog. And uh, Bomb Out Bullet, who she had as well on the night that we saw them both. Uh, he didn't perform as well as I think um, as expectations, but he has, I think, just had to have a look around the track and hopefully he'll perform better as well. Now at Sheffield, we also have the British Bread Derby. That's on Tuesday. And we saw the heats of the competition uh, this week. We had some pretty good uh, performances, I think, Joe. We did, yeah. King Capaldi was the standout. He was the fastest in his heat. Um, obviously, he got collared on the line by King Memphis in the in the Puppy Derby, um, but he looks a class dog in his own right. And he did a twenty eight sixty six, which is some going. Um, Queen Joni, who who won the the produce stakes, um, twenty eight seventy two, very quick. And then another, you know, King Sydney twenty eight eighty nine winner. So Liz and Rab McNair again unleashing these these pups who look top top notch. Um, you know, really good. And then the other heat heat winners we had. Fearsome Enigma, 28.98. Acom Alfie, 28.83. And, and Acom Irene, 28.98. So, uh, you know, we saw some good performances. I've not seen any prices for the for the heats. Um, the draws were done were done last night to when we record this. So uh, we, we haven't seen anything priced up yet, unfortunately. Um, uh, but, yeah, we, again, you know, the, the McNairs and the KSS Syndicate have got some seriously talented puppies on their hands, haven't they, for competitions? They really do. The Kings and Queens probably ruling at Sheffield next Tuesday. And what I will say is to pick up sign at Goofy is no mean feat. And he did it, what, round the first bend? Yeah, yeah. So King Goofy is obviously, um, you know, get, getting on a bit. He's been an absolute class, class dog. And, you know, he's sort of the... Uh, the, the the young pretender now isn't it taking on you know a class a class older dog but um, you know is that is that age starting to show still got it Sonic yeah. Goofy I feel like I've been real harsh now because I love Sonic Goofy he's one of my favourite dogs in training at the you know still but uh, yeah is it a ch- changing of the guard shall we say perhaps Danny. I don't like change, Joe. I don't <laughs> like change, uh, but no, he's he's absolutely superb, King Capaldi. So looking forward to uh, the semis of that on Tuesday so we've got an absolutely stellar run of days Friday Saturday Sunday Monday Tuesday we have got five but six actually because there's two at Hove on Saturday six 
phenomenal competitions that you can just sit back, relax and enjoy wherever you want to watch it. Absolutely superb. And if you can, please get down to the tracks as well. Your body's through the door. That's what this sport is all about because you can watch it as much as you want on the little tiny screens and the little dogs just running around in circles, ovals. But if you go to the track, I promise you it'll be worth it. It's absolutely superb. I I just love going to tracks. It's it's great fun, Joe. I can't make it to Oxford tonight. Hopefully Lauren qualifies. And if she does, I, I should be at the semi-final. And then, you know, if she, if she makes it through the semi-final, I'll hopefully be at the final. So if you're at Oxford and you see me, um, tiny, bold fella, come and say hello. I won't be at Oxford, but I will be at Nottingham. Uh, not next Monday, but the Monday after. So again, come and say hello if you see me. I'm the one with the bright red hair. You can't miss me, quite frankly, <laughs> in the crowd. So... Have a superb weekend, everyone. I hope you've enjoyed the podcast. If you have, please like, subscribe, leave us a review, five stars if you can. Need to move up those charts um, because we're going to be doing a review of what our wish list was in the next podcast. So that might be great or a bit of a car crash, but make sure you tune in next time around. Hope you enjoyed it, everyone. And it's a goodbye from us. Bye. Thanks for listening to Gone to the Dogs, released every other Friday. For more info or to reach out on Twitter, follow at Totally Betting and at Danny V. Jackson. Podcast produced and edited by Joe Andrews and Danny Jackson. Voiceover by Katie Harvey.